A lot of you remember. I remember where I was. I was in a meeting with staff members, and the calls kept coming in, pouring in, Pastor, Pastor, you need to look and see what's happening. You remember. And what, what, what my friends and I said was we were shaken. We were shaken. The first plane hit, we were shaken. When the second plane hit, we knew that it was an assault, and we knew it was terrible. Our world was shaken. Now, you know, we'll talk about this in a few moments, but this is a macrocosm of what happens in every individual life. Every life is afflicted, is assaulted, is attacked. And I don't know where it is in your life right now, whether in relationships or whether in physical illness, whether it's at work, in school. I don't know, but everybody, everybody can say, my world gets shaken. The message today is that when our world is shaken, heaven stands. We're going to receive our collection now. I would invite those who are passing the offering plates, if you would pass that. But I'm going to ask you if you can say, I know that heaven stands. You see, do you know that? All right, Lisa, we'll turn it over to you. Mike, you would record this.
Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So far the reading of God's word. It still astounds us that 19 hijackers took four transcontinental airline uh, planes filled with jet fuel and turned them into guided missiles in order to destroy human life in New York, in the fields of Pennsylvania, in Washington, D.C., and 2,977 innocent people were murdered, among them 350 firefighters, 60 police officers, 35 military personnel. And our world was shaken. And we can relate to what the psalmist says here. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. My world is shaken. It's shaken by this. It's shaken by things you don't even know about. And your world is shaken by things I don't know about. And maybe there are problems with the kids. Maybe there are struggles at work. Maybe it's just financial difficulty and you feel like you're drowning. Or maybe the doctor came and the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you the news. And on a micro level, your world is shaken. And for many of us, if we are honest... Our world is shaken because there is sometimes sin in our lives. That is to say, there are habits, there are ways of thinking and patterns of acting. The Bible uses the word sinful. You might call it dysfunctional, but whatever it is, these patterns that show themselves to be destructive in our lives, and we pay a price, a terrible price, relationally with others and in our relationship with God the Father. And our world is shaken. We're starting a new series this fall as we study some of the most beloved psalms in the Old Testament. And I hope you'll be here week after week. Some of these psalms are very familiar to you, but we're going to study them and lay them up in our hearts and see the gospel of Jesus Christ in them. And I hope you'll be here with us because it is a gift to us. Through the centuries, the church has always loved the psalms 
because the Psalms have anticipated what we feel and what we think and where we are going and even what we do. I have found Psalm 130 to be, for me, the tenderest passage that I've needed both ten years ago and throughout my ministry and even yet today. Comfort from this psalm as we kick off this series together. So if you're in the depths of sorrow or sin or brokenness or darkness, this song guides you and me and it answers the three questions in your sermon outline that you have in your program. Question one, when you are in the depths, where do you turn? Number two, when you are in the depths, how long do you wait? And number three, when you are in the depths, where is your hope? So let's look at these. When you are in the depths, where do you turn? And I would bet that if you've been a Christian any length of time, whether you knew it or not, you prayed the first two verses of this psalm. You might not have quoted it from Psalm 130, but somehow you said, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Pay attention. Let your ear be attentive to my cry for mercy. And you have, you have prayed that prayer. Maybe you just said, Lord, I'm a mess. Do you hear me? And that is what they call a dynamic equivalent translation of the Hebrew text. You got it right. Where do you turn? Throughout the, the, the Old Testament, you have like Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. He, he anticipates our voice. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. You see, he's in the depths. In the prayer of Jonah, when Jonah is rebellious, remember? And his own sin has made such a mess of his life. And he cries out and he says, You cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. When you do find yourself in the depths. Where do you turn? And this is where, was it Socrates who talked about the tragedy of living an unexamined life? How many of us live, we waltz through life, and we never look carefully at how we do respond in hard times. We don't pay attention to ourselves. We just, well, we just cope. We have certain coping mechanisms, and what do people choose? Well, a lot of people medicate themselves. Alcohol. I read this week recently about Russia and how, how the nation of Russia is being ruined by vodka. Does that sound plausible to you? Apparently, apparently the struggles, uh, the, the cost to the Russian population because of vodka is, is staggering. It's the way to solve our problems. Other people choose narcotics. Oh, hard narcotic use is down, but the use of marijuana is sky high, apparently, and growing every week. Oh, if you're a pot dealer, the market is good for you. Why? Because people want to push the pause button on their life. You see, that's what pot smokers do. They push the pause button on their life to self-medicate. I also read this week about something called retail therapy. 
Have you heard of retail therapy? It, 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 was a, it started out to be very funny, and then it got very serious. This is written by a, 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 a lady who's a psychiatrist in the, in the Marin Valley, north in um, California. And she's talking about the generation of teenagers and young adults who have now committed to retail therapy as the way of solving the pain in their lives. The acquisition of stuff is the solution to my difficulty. And she says, we are headed in this next generation for big problems, both in terms of debt load and the, the use of debt, but also just in terms of meaningless solutions to people's problems. Where do you turn? Some of us turn to sports. We turn to exercise. We need those endorphins. Uh, and we, we turn to, all, to food. I know that's where I want to turn so often just to self-comfort. And the psalmist anticipates that I need to turn somewhere, and he teaches me in verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, to you, to the Lord. Where do you turn? Do you turn first to the Lord? O Lord, hear my voice. Do you believe that the Lord is with you? Ladies, on Saturday, this is what you are going to study and resolve in your own life so that you are competently equipped through life to know that the Lord is with you. But do you believe it? There was a police NYPD officer who went into the burning building after it had collapsed, I guess the smoking ruins after it had collapsed, and he saw with several others for the first time, that steel beam cross in the cavernous center of the fallen tower amidst the smoldering ruin. And he wrote in his journal that night, when I saw the steel beam cross in the mangled destruction at ground zero, I discovered that in the middle of the worst nightmare, God is still there. There is nowhere we can go that he is not. There is no hole in the ground that he's not right there with you. There is no trauma so bad that he cannot heal. And so turn to the Lord and come to him with your cry. And this is very interesting. This is very helpful to me. Because some of us think that if God's going to hear us, we have to have a polished prayer. You know, some people come to our prayer meetings and they say, I love to come to prayer meetings, but, but I'm not going to pray out loud. Well, I could never pray out loud. I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm not that articulate and my grammar's not so good. <laughs> well, guess what? God doesn't care about grammar. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. What does God want to hear? He wants to hear your cry. He welcomes your cry. If your shoulders are shaking and your eyes are sobbing, he welcomes you. He welcomes your cry. I don't care who you are today. I just want you to, if you get nothing else, if the screensaver goes up and you get nothing else today, it's this. He welcomes your cry, your honest cry, the cry of your heart. The psalmist teaches us this. Come and pray. Stumble, if you will. Lisp, if you will. But just cry out to the Lord. I saw an article with an acquaintance of mine featured 
this week, a woman named Melanie Kirkpatrick. She was a deputy editor for the Wall Street Journal, and she was walking to her office when the planes hit. And as the, as the sky fell, she said all I could do in the rush of humanity was turn and walk. And there she was in her high heels and business suit. She said she walked for miles and miles north through Manhattan. And she said that through the chaos, the dust, and the tragedy, surrounded by frantic people, I noticed a theme. Walking from Wall Street to Chinatown to Central Park, people were praying publicly all around me. As I walked, I began to notice the open doors of the houses of worship that I passed, she says. I had, a, a few had hand-lettered signs saying, we are open for prayer. And at times, the exodus from lower Manhattan seemed more like a prayer vigil with countless people with heads bowed and lips moving. So come to God with your cry. Question number two, when you are in the depths, how long do you wait? And another thing the psalmist shows us is that the resolution of things is not immediate. It's not instantaneous. And I don't know about you, but in my flesh that bugs me. Because I'm an impatient person. If you want to go out with me to dinner on a Friday night and we get to a restaurant and there's a long line outside the door, I'm not real comfortable waiting for 90 minutes for a seat. I don't care how good the food is. You know, I'm impatient. Nina's car got banged into by someone a couple weeks ago, over a month ago. And yeah, yeah, they'll order the part. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll fix the car. But it was after the hailstorm, remember that? And so the, the, the uh, body shops are just filled with busy activity. And they, they haven't gotten around to us yet. I'm impatient. Because the world has taught me, I grew up in a generation of instant gratification, right? I got instant popcorn. I've got cable television. I can go down to JFK and I can purchase an airplane ticket, get on a plane, and I can be in Europe in just a few hours. I'm not good at waiting. And then, to make matters worse, there's two kinds of waiting. First is the waiting with fret, where you get fretful. Waiting with anxiety. You know that kind of waiting? Am I the only person who sometimes tosses and turns all night and, and paces the floor? There's, a, there's, the, there's this kind of waiting that I call unbelieving waiting. Waiting without faith, where I'm acting as if there is no God. I'm just anxious because I don't have resolution to my problem, whether it's a sin problem or whether it's a circumstance. And, and I'm just upset and I have no peace because I'm living like there is no Holy Spirit and like there is no God. And that's the wrong way to wait. What's the right way? Well, this poem, Psalm 130, in a delicious way, he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. But the Hebrew word there is the word of patient expectation. Patient expectation is how he waits. Even though it's night, even though the darkness is still there, I wait 
For the Lord, I wait on the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. And what he does is three times he says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning twice. It's like a stare, it's a stare-like crescendo of, of expectation. God will help me and forgive me and bring resolution now, it's not instantaneous. Psalm, I'm sorry, Revelation 16 tells us that the martyrs, they cry out to the Lord, How long, O Lord? And some of us in our own life, we say, How long, O Lord? Am I going to have to go through this? And it's tough, isn't it? I don't know what it is for your life. I, I had a f- good friend about 15 years ago who longed to be married. And she was already in her mid-thirties. She was not married. She'd prayed for many years for a godly Christian husband. And then one day, she knocked on the door. Pastor John, I just wanted to tell you, I'm engaged to be married. I'm really excited, and I want you to share my joy. And I did share her joy after a long time of waiting. But as her pastor, we, we looked at her life and his life. There are times in the New Testament, it's not common, but there are times in the New Testament where it says a person is not free to remarry. This particular man needed to go back to his wife. And I had the unhappy duty of saying to my friend, you need to say to your fiancé, this isn't going to work according to the Bible, you need to go back to your wife. And she said, but I've waited so long, and he's so nice, and he has a job. But you know, this woman was godly. And so she said, I will follow the Lord. And she broke the engagement, and then she waited some more. And three years later, God brought a wonderful godly man into her life. Today, they have three teenage children. She had twins and a, and a child, and, and their life is rich and full. Now, even some people wait longer than that. And some do wait until they meet the best bridegroom. And who is the best bridegroom? And when do they meet the best bridegroom? Well, you know, if you've read the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is the great bridegroom who's coming at the end of the age. And he's going to, men, he's going to make all of us look pretty pale in comparison. But Jesus will be the great bridegroom and he will usher all of his beloved to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And there, for some, that will be their true marriage feast. We do not understand God in his inscrutable wisdom And why we sometimes wait and then wait again. But you can wait in two ways. You see, you can wait with confident expectation or you can wait with anxiety as though there is no God. Our brother who wrote this psalm, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Will you do that? As you walk from here today, will you say, you know, God, I want you to teach me how to wait on you like that. This is new to me. This is, I, I'm a disciple. This is new in my own discipleship, okay? For some of you, this is a new idea. 
that you're waiting on the Lord is going to become a positive experience in your life. Let's, let's commit to the small groups. Let's watch for this. Youth group, let's watch for this, that we learn how to wait on the Lord with confident expectation. And that leads to the third question, when you are in the depths, where is your hope? And I love verses 5 through 8, you see. And he says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and then he gives us the reason. And in his word, I put my hope. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And one more time, you, you will hear me say what I've said so frequently in, from this pulpit. Everybody needs to know at least two things. Everybody needs to know that they are loved and there is hope. Isn't that true? I don't care who you are. You want to know that you are loved and that there is hope. And right here in this beautiful psalm, as he comes to his crescendo, that's what he tells us. See, the, there's this marvelous progression right through the end of the psalm where he says, my confident expectation has a reason. The word of God is true. In his word, I put my hope. Now, he is thinking in particular of the covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham. And remember, we just finished studying the life of Abraham all last year and that marvelous covenant that God made where he signed, sealed, and delivered his commitment to be faithful and present with his people when the animals were cut, remember, cut in half, and God himself alone walked through the bloody mess saying to Abraham, may it be done to me if I do not keep my promises. This is my sure word to you. God is faithful. David says, I trust in his covenant, in his word. And then when, when God met Israel at Sinai again, he says, I will be with you and I am faithful to you. But, of course, his word refers to the Bible in his word and the promises. And so when someone becomes a new believer in our church, we like them to join us in what we call the greenhouse. You've heard of the greenhouse? It's a class we run for new believers who've never had a chance to memorize Scripture. And that's such a wonderful time in their life and in my life getting to know them. And we just, you know, I'm not that smart. I don't have that many strings on my guitar, but I tell you what I do know. I know to memorize scriptures about assurance of salvation and assurance of forgiveness and assurance of guidance because these are things I really need in my life. And we memorize these passages and we talk about how to apply them to our lives. All of us need to say with the psalmist, in his word, I put my hope. <laughs> and then, then he says... And now that I have the word of the Lord, it catapults me to the Lord of the word. And he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And the bots with the Bible always does. It directs us to the Lord Jesus. It calls us back to the Lord. And, and uh, we put our hope in the Lord for two main reasons here. Then it, he lays it out, unfailing love and full redemption. And I love this. You know, some translations call it steadfast love. But I love this translation of the word unfailing love, and I'll tell you why. It's because my love is often failing. My love is not unfailing. There is only one whose love is unfailing. You know, you can listen to all the pop 
top 40 songs you want with all the promises. The Bible says all men are liars. But there is one whose love is unfailing. Jesus Christ said, I loved them to the end. I laid down my life for them to the end. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled before our eyes this this statement of unfailing love and then full redemption. And in the Old Testament, this word is a rich word because sometimes it speaks of deliverance from terrible circumstances as we are thinking about today. He says in Exodus 6, verse 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you. And so redemption often is this marvelous reworking of your circumstances and you stand and you behold the salvation of God in your life here and now. I can't make that happen. God makes it happen in his timing, but he delivers his people. He redeems his people. But really, the essence of redemption is forgiveness from sin. And early in verse 3 of our psalm, he says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Is there anyone here? If God keeps a record of sins, is there anybody here? Say, Pastor, I'll talk to you after church. I want you to know there's no sins in my life at all. No pride, no selfishness, no self-centeredness. Never experienced lust, always treated the opposite sex with utmost perfect respect. And, and I'm, the, I'm just always generous to a fault. Why, yeah, no. Is there anyone? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And Paul says in the New Testament, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then (laughs) comes one of the best phrases in the whole Bible. Do you see it? Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. And that means worshipped. And he closes, he himself will redeem Israel from all her sins. How will he do that? When will he do that? And this, my friends, is one of the best prophecies of the Old Testament. If you talk to your Jewish friends or anybody who studies the Old Testament, turn to the end of Psalm 130 when it says, He himself will redeem Israel, his people, from all her sins. When will he do that? And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Jesus Christ we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We cannot have Christianity without the cross. Our study in 1 John comes back to us that we just finished. You can't have Christianity without the cross. You can't have it. Through his blood, we have redemption. So, I'll conclude with this. Christian writers have always loved Psalm 130. And it echoes through the hymns that we sing. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me. Foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the billows o'er me roll. When he's in the depths, you see. Even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. 
And even in the hymn we're about to sing, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, there he is, you see, in the depths, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when you are frustrated and overwhelmed, Turn to him, and then tell others how you turn to him. Wait on him, and then tell others how you have waited on him. Hope in him, and tell others how you hope in his word and in him. Will you do that? Let's pray together. And I would invite the elders to come forward. Lord Jesus, we put our hope in you, our trust in you. In you, we turn to you. I pray for anyone here today who is struggling with sorrows. They will turn and they will receive from your hand your touch, your care. As we partake now briefly of the Lord's table... We repent of all our sins, all known sins, Lord. We turn from them. And we say, please do not keep a record of our sins, but blot them out through the blood of the Lamb shed for me. Oh, Lord, we love you. We know you're present with us today, and we thank you. And when our world is shaking, we know that heaven stands. In Jesus' name, amen.